Welcome back to the Eater Upsell, a podcast from the Vox Media Podcast Network. My name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. And today we are taking you live to the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, in Las Vegas for a live episode of the Upsell with our travel editor, Leslie Souter. Why is there a food episode coming from the Consumer Electronics Show at the Google Assistant Activation Space? Um, I think why not is the most appropriate answer to that. Uh, anyway, today we are talking to Chris Yenbamrung, who is the chef of Night Market in Los Angeles. We intro him on the spot, and it's a better intro than I'm going to do now, so I'm just going to leave it in. Uh, and here is the episode with Chris Yenbamrung of Night Market. If you like it, please subscribe, rate us on the iTunes store, all the stores, um, tell a friend, and enjoy the episode. Chris, you want to just tell us like a little bit of what Night Market is for people that don't know? Yeah, it's an it's a restaurant, uh, now three restaurants in LA, that started really as sort of regional Thai restaurant and now has morphed into something that I like to call like more like an LA restaurant. It is um, an absolute sensation in the city of Los Angeles, where I am lucky enough to call home. Uh, Chris was born in Los Angeles. Uh, and with no babysitter, he grew up basically in his family's Thai restaurants. Uh, his Thai restaurant on the Sunset Strip called Talisai, that was uh, an icon. Uh, he traveled back and forth to Thailand growing up before going to NYU for film school. And he worked in film until he finally decided to leave New York and take over the family spot back in, back, what, you were 25 at that time? 25 at yeah. that time. Yeah. So he took over. He says he almost ran it into the ground uh, before uh, finally buying the space next door and cooking the Thai food he grew up eating in Thailand, calling it Night Market. Um, it, okay, and then you recently did a cookbook uh, as well. Um, the, the successful cookbook, Night Market, Delicious Thai Food to Facilitate Drinking and Fun Having Fun. Is this, did I get that right? Fun do? having do? Uh, amongst friends. Fun ha- okay. Yeah. Fun having amongst friends. So you, you go to Thailand um, not just for like research and to like be an American tourist to go to the Moon Festival or whatever. You... Go there because you have family there. Your uncle is in Chiang Mai, is that right? Or Chiang... Chiang Rai, yeah. Chiang Rai, which is north. So, but when you're there, but before you had your own restaurant and used to travel to Thailand, what was your relationship to eating there? I think that eating is, is how I um, got to know the country, got to know the people, even though, uh, you know, I'm Thai, my family is Thai, um, I've spent a good chunk of my life there, uh, but I think that eating is a good, it's a good in, you know, it's a good, I'm, I'm I love food, I, I'm a chef, you know, I love cooking, but to me, that's almost like, it's like the bare minimum, you know what I mean, to have good food, to be interested in, like, why is this pork skewer better than this, you know, like, that's only, it only takes you so far. But then know the guy who's making the skewer to know the other guy who's making the other skewer, to me, is, is far more interesting. What do you do when somebody just came to Thailand? Came, they were just on vacation there. They walk into your restaurant, they, and they all of a sudden think they know everything about Thai food, and they eat your food, and they, that, let's say your, your pad Thai, you've kind of openly said, is like a more sort of Angelino version, or this... It, we don't want to delve yet into the topics of authenticity, but what do you do when somebody comes in and then tells you either this is wrong or thinks they have a preconceived idea about your food at that point? <laughs> There's two things. First, uh, first thing is, is probably the more polite thing is, is that, look, I'm grateful anytime someone walks into the restaurant. I mean, I'll say straight up that it's not easy to, to, to be in business, um, let alone to be running a restaurant in a big market like L.A. that 
has a new restaurant popping up every every day. Mm-hmm. It seems like. So I'm stoked that people are just even eating there, honestly. But, um, <laughs> it, but. It, it does, uh, you know, I mean, I was telling you just now that even as a Thai guy, a guy who's lived half my life in L.A., but a big chunk in Thailand, <clears throat> I still feel like I don't really know anything, you know? Like, I was asked recently by this by a group to be... Uh, sort of Thai culinary expert and lead a tour through Thailand. And I thought, like, there's no way I could do that because <laughs> my view my my view of Thailand and what I think is is cool there and and all that is not really, I think, what everyone thinks. So, I mean, I guess the thing, the thing with your question is, you know, so when someone pops in and says, look, I just went on my honeymoon to Thailand. We went here, we went there. It's happened. It happens every day. Um, I say, you know, maybe try to just be open to the possibility that this is something different. You know, like I almost wish it wasn't known as a Thai restaurant anymore, Mm -hmm. that it was just a restaurant that people come into and sort of enjoy on a visceral level rather than, I mean, it's something I wrote in the book, actually. It's that people were starting to come into the restaurant and judge things based on how closely they resemble this other thing 50,000 miles away, which to me is, it, it's just not really the point. You know, right. the, the answer is just no. That's the wrong question, you know. So, so you've said that uh, you like to look back at the, at the time, like when Spago was in its heyday and all these restaurants that have created these really fun atmospheres. And I think a lot of the restaurants you mentioned are ones that don't um, obsessively follow a certain country's food. Do you think it's possible to still have a fun restaurant while being like overly obsessive about getting things exactly as they are from their originally country? I think it's possible, but it's difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I look at restaurants. I'm constantly. I'm every day. I'm inspired by uh, you know guys like Wolfgang Puck. You're talking about Spago, um, Nobu. I mean, everyone loves Nobu, right? Um, and I really look at these guys as, uh, and Chang is, uh, David, Dave Chang is to me like the next generation of that sort of chef, you know, a guy who's really taken things in, in uh, kind of a populist direction. And I think in the, I, I mean that in the Good best. Good populism. The best possible way, you know, something that kind of can appeal to everyone in this room. Like there's something for literally everyone in this room. And the same goes for, for the other uh, guys I mentioned, Wolfgang Puck and, and Nobu, I think that's a good thing, you know? And that's sort of the, the direction that I've tried to take it in. I think there are people who succeed in keeping it super specific, uh, succeed in making it fun and authentic and, and real and true to, to the source material of, of mm-hmm. whatever they're doing. So I think it's possible. I just think it's really, really tough. I mean, we definitely we definitely went away from it. You know, there was a time when we opened in 2008, I had a whole disclaimer. I mean, a typical, like very idealistic, uh, 25 year old guy's (laughs) disclaimer on the menu, which said, this is, this is the food of Thailand. I didn't invent anything here. I'm not interpreting anything here. And the point was to say, Hey, this is the real thing because we were in, we were on the Sunset Strip, which is, if you've never been to LA, is probably 
the least likely place you would find anything real, you know? It is the sort of tourist... It's a tourist um, destination. destination. It's a place, it's kind of, I mean, it's a rite of passage in a way, like all tourists in L.A., Zip through there at some point. Every Teenagers, like sorority party and like bachelorette. There's a lot of those. Yeah, buses Not that, that um, you know, where you go to like Holly Berry's house and whoever's house, you know, they pass by. And so it's the least likely place that you would find real Thai food. So I had to put this thing on the menu that said, essentially, this is real. I didn't invent any of this. This isn't my take on it. And then after a while, I just thought, well, that's kind of boring. Like I, I personally started to get bored. And I was the one doing most of the cooking at that time. We were really small. So I thought, you know, just as a way to entertain myself, as a way to keep it interesting and, you know, keep a little mystery or fun or whatever, it's like I had to take it to a different place, I think. But I also remember going there and, like, you wouldn't serve, like, varying levels of spice, for instance, like, for a while. Like, you would go in there and I love spicy food. Some people don't. But, like, if you went, you knew that if you went to Night Market, like, oh, shit, you better really like spicy because if not... Um, your we had head's one, explode or something. Yeah, we had one level, and it was it was um, I think pretty pretty darn spicy. Even even though I'd say that you know spice is one of those things that people latch onto with Thai food, like like it's the thing. If it's spicy, then it's must be real and must be authentic or something, <laughs> which isn't really the case, you know. But still, at the time, our food I think was spicier than most places. So. Uh, needless to say, we've gone away from that a little bit, you know, we're happy to tone things down a bit now, and I definitely don't eat as spicy as I used to, so. Do you consider that your restaurant becoming more accessible? I think so. I think, um, like I said, we opened in 2000, not 2008, 2010 we opened, so we're about eight years old, uh, and that first, I think that first year or so was when we were the most super, super rigid in what we did. And then after a while, it was like when I started to realize, not just with the spice level thing, but you know when people were coming in and and having that conversation about, like you said, the book. All right, the book. The book's called, you know, food to. I forget what it's called. Food to. It's a lot of fun. Facilitate uh, drinking and fun having amongst friends. So the idea is that it's like it's a real party place, and we were starting to get guests that would come in and kind of sit, you know, in this like kind of speak with like hushed tones and like look at the food and I could tell they were dissecting it and you know they're kind of whispering and talking about the food and and I knew that uh, it, it just wasn't it wasn't the way that I w preferred for people to relate to the food you know I'm not saying everyone has to come in and get bombed on a bottle of wine or a couple of bottles of wine I'm not saying that but it was just sort of that wasn't the intention with the food. It wasn't meant to be a place where you came and... I've always felt that the food should be almost secondary, you know? Like, I've always wanted the food to be amazing and, and all that, but I've wanted it to be more of a place where you go and you care more about the friend that you're sitting with and having a conversation with than, you know, how, how awesome is our kausoi or whatever it is, you know? Is, is that expectation and that sort of, like, shift in the clientele that comes, is that the downside of, like, hype and, like, getting on best restaurant lists and, like, getting on the international travel guides where people fly across the world to, like, come and eat at your restaurant and all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, people... Everyone's this, super boring. Everyone's yeah. super boring now, yeah. Um, I guess it's a downside, but to me it's a really small downside, you know? It's, it's to me, a real small price to pay for 
again, for anyone coming in the restaurant. And, you know, I think we're, I'm super grateful still to, to be really busy. And especially with the first restaurant, like our first spot, which is on the Sunset Strip, the one that opened in 2010, that's our, our oldest spot and is now our busiest spot again. So it's like had a resurgence and all that. And it's, it's not easy, you know what I mean? So it, it sucks in a very small way when people come with a certain notion or they come because so-and-so said it's the best whatever, you know, whatever, kasoi or pad thai or whatever dish. But uh, so you're always going to have to meet some type of expectation. And, and sometimes that's it's not realistic and it's not possible. But... Um, but it's dope because people are coming in, you know, and people, and we get to feed people, we get to meet people, we get to be around people. So that to me is, is still a cool part. Do you feel like in general that, uh, whereas kind of in 2008 there was this obsession with chefs and the craft and, uh, you know, uh, pre-2008 and tasting menus and, and really like diving into the science, do you feel like we're kind of moving away now that it's getting to be back to the time when it was like the spa goes and the experience is really what mattered? Or do you think this is just something that's unique to your situation? I definitely feel that when we started Night Market in 2010, that people were starting to become super, at least within our space, you know, like Thai food, so-called ethnic food, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, people were starting to be super, super interested in like regionality of the food, authenticity, you know, uh, verisimilitude, whatever you want to call it. And, and that's cool because people are starting to see it not as this monolithic thing, whether it's Thai food or, or Mexican food or Japanese food or whatever. People are, are starting to see it as uh, not one monolithic culture, but a bunch of little pockets and small cultures um, that together are known as Thailand or Thai culture. But... What happens when you get to sort of too academic of a place, I think, is that you go away from uh, experiencing the food or the culture with feeling or with, with real visceral uh, reaction or sensibility. So I'm kind of glad uh, that it seems like the grip uh, has been loosened up a little bit, you know? I think it's a good thing. I think it's okay for people to have fun in restaurants, even if they're authentic Chinese, Thai, whatever restaurants or, or Japanese restaurants. Um, I think it's okay to have fun, you know? I think it's okay to... Um, it's okay to eat California rolls and also like, you know, nice sushi, traditional sushi, whatever you want to call it. I think it's okay to walk and chew gum at the same time, you know what I mean? It's... Uh, it's okay to like coming to Vegas and partying and doing that and also like going to visit whatever, wineries in the French countryside or something. So I don't know if that even answers yeah. your question at all, but... No, uh, it makes I, a lot of sense. I do think that like the way that Thai food in particular gets interpreted in the United States lends itself more to sort of a playful mood. Like I think that it can be more relaxed and people can actually just have a good time. I don't know if that's just the way that American restaurants have chosen to interpret the cuisine of Thailand or if that's the only way that the American audience will sort of take it because they're used to it still being sort of a more casual cuisine. Um, I'm curious what you think about whether that's sort of an American phenomenon. It's things that are relevant. I think, you know, our restaurants are in Silver Lake, West Hollywood, and now the new one is in Venice. 
things that are relevant in those places might not be the same things that are relevant in the Thai countryside, just straight up, you know. There are things that might work in the Thai countryside because of centuries of tradition and the way cultures evolve that just won't translate. And I think that's an okay thing. The Abikini? What, I mean? what do you mean? It's an okay thing, you know. And, and uh, at one point I did try to translate it, I think as close as I could, but still just because of, of my upbringing, uh, I don't know, my background, the stuff I studied, it was never going to be like a, a linear kind of translation of it. It wasn't going to be a facsimile. In terms of uh, creating these spaces that are as fun as possible, do you notice subtle differences in the tweaks that you make to the restaurants in the different locations in Los Angeles? For sure. I mean, we opened up our, our Venice place. Uh, we're going on a year now. And being there, uh, it's just like I'm learning something new every day. And I think that whatever neighborhood you go into, you have to sort of do something in service of the neighborhood. It's really what I feel. And it doesn't mean you don't go in with a strong point of view or, or some sort of sensibility that you want to get across. But you are, you are creating an experience or a product for people to use and to, to buy you know, with their their money, and so it has to be useful to people in some way. Right. You're not creating this thing in a vacuum to just satisfy yourself. So there are things definitely that, um, like all the restaurants are different. They're all called night market, but it's like 70% of the menu is the same and the experience is the same, and 30% is super different. And it's sort of just stuff we've learned in the different neighborhoods that uh, that we've had to tweak, you know? And is this is this music? Is this like levels of spice? Uh... It's um well even the sorts of dishes. I mean like, for instance in Venice, you know like for a long time, a typical restaurant story is that we were super delayed for all the usual reasons, several years actually. And in that couple of years, I had a lot of time to sit and think about it. Like, do I want to do? Initially, I wanted to do a whole different concept, like a whole different type of restaurant. I wanted to open up like. Uh, like a... Burger bar? No, like I wanted to open up an Asian fusion restaurant, which has like become like the, or had become like the the butt of all foodie jokes, which is, you know, whatever, terrible. But um, so I wanted to do like an Asian fusion restaurant, but then we were delayed for so long that, you know, people were just saying, hey, just do another, open another night market. We've been waiting. We like, we live here. We want to not have to drive to West Hollywood or Silver Lake to have this food. So I was like, all right, we'll do something in between. And so the, the concept I came up with was this idea of, of cocaine tie, right? So I was like, all right, what does that mean? You know, it doesn't mean like we're serving, you know, rails with your pad thai. It means... I was looking at, you know, when was the Six last time... Six people just canceled the reservation, by the way. I know, exactly. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, sorry, Google. Um, but, you know, what I mean is that the last time I felt people were still... Were, were really excited and having fun in restaurants was, like, the late 70s and, and the 80s in L.A., you know? And you look at photos of the people going to these places and they're smiling and they're having a good time and they're out with their friends yeah. and all that. In fairness, it's not this hush-hush kind of thing. Those people might have been on cocaine. <laughs> it's true. They might have been, you know. That's neither here nor there. I mean, the idea is that, look, you know, it just popped into my head, like, yeah. I, you could call it whatever sort of thing, you know, whatever sort of tie. But that's sort of the idea that I had was like, all right, maybe let's loosen it up a little bit. You know, like, maybe there's 
maybe there's a way you could do things that are both true to where they came from, but also somehow evolved and different and fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Switching gears a little bit, um, you went to Australia recently, right? That was like your last big... Trip. Yeah, the end of last year. Um, how was it, first of all? It's, it's, the best, it's the best place. It's like, it's phenomenal. It's, um, it's you know, I'm going to be 37 this year. It's taken me 36 years to get to Australia. I don't know why. It's always sort of been on the list, but it's, it's a place I think that's easy to overlook, you know, because it's like no one really knows about it. Like mm-hmm. no one, be, aside from like kangaroos or whatever, like no one really knows what to think about Australia, but that's an opportunity, I think, in a way, because you can go and really, you don't have this whole uh, agenda or anything. Mm -hmm. You go and you're just like there and you have this food that's, to me, the best execution in the world, hands down. I was going to ask, like, as, as a chef, when you travel, like how much food focused? Are you the kind of chef who like, I don't want to even think about food. I just want to like go on vacation and like eat pineapple, drink pineapple juice for a week. Or is researching and experiencing the food a key part of the way that you travel? Doing that professionally. I travel almost solely to eat and drink. You know, that's like, that's, I live, I live to eat and drink. And, but beyond that, to explore culture and, and that kind of thing. I'm not just like trying to shovel you know, spaghetti carbonara in my face every minute, you know what I mean? But it's like, it's, it's the in, you know? So, um, how do you go about figuring out how to experience food? Like, how do you go, how do you as a traveler, I'm Chris, I'm planning a trip to Australia. Like, how do you figure out where to go? How do you tackle where to eat? You just like call your, your chef buddy and like, Hey, tell me where to eat in your city, which is great. Yeah. If we could all bottle that, but like, yeah, how do you, how do you think you travel differently as a chef? You know, there's two versions because there's my real version, which is close to what you said. You know, I, I show up and I'm basically there with other chefs who take me to their spots and their chef friend spots and blah, 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 and take me to all the best spots. And that's, I'm fortunate in that way. But there was a time where it wasn't that way for me, even, even after I was, you know, running night market and I was a chef, just no one cared about what we were doing. And I would show up and, and have to sort of fend for myself. Like a normal person? Like a normal person, oh you know? And it's like, it's, it's almost, uh, it's better in that way, you know, because you're just sort of, you're free to, you know, check everything out. So I think, um, look, I mean, you, you, you make some sort of basic list, right? You, Start with that, and then you just go. You know, you just do it, and you, and then you meet some guy or some girl there, and then they say, "Oh, go to this other place," and then you mm-hmm. go to that place, and then hopefully, and then you have a couple bottles, and they say, "Hey, why don't you come to my family's place? We're gonna, you know, my mom's gonna cook you dinner," and you say yes. You just say yes. That's the whole thing. The, the, the main thing goal. is to say yes. The ultimate goal, right, of any trip is to like eventually get invited into some woman's gra- somebody's grandmother's home to just make you the food. As much as we talk about how we wanted to eat at restaurants, you just want to get the invite to someone's house. That is a goal, and I think um, the way you get there, you know, if you share that goal, is you just say yes. You know, someone puts something in front of you and says, "Here's this thing," and then you know, you eat it. You know, and no matter what it is, and. Someone invites you. This is one of the big, and I put this in my in my book. It's one of the big mantras I have in my life, which is, um, and I actually got it from like a sort of disreputable source. But like the mantra is, if someone offers you a reasonable invitation to do something that might be fun or might be good in some way, like 
coming to Vegas to speak at CES, you have to say yes. There's only one, there's only, there's only one answer, you have to say yes. And it goes for travel too. If someone says, you know what, like, like I went to Amsterdam when I was 17 for uh, the big, uh, what it was, the Y2K, like, you know, the year 2000, New Year's Eve, whatever. And that was the one time I said no. I was like, I'm in Amsterdam, and this guy that I met, a guy that was a, 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 Ross, a white Rasta from Amsterdam said, hey, do you want to go to a reggae festival in Berlin? And I said no, and it's probably the biggest regret of my life is that I said no. I still had fun in Amsterdam, but the point is just say yes because you never know what's going to happen, and you're, you might you might have a revelation. You might meet your next friend or husband or wife or whatever, or get a job or do something cool. So just say yes. What are some things you have said yes to besides yes? Man, I don't know. It's weird. It's like... I think it would be easier for me to come up with things I've said no to because, like, I say yes, like, to everything almost, you know? Like, if anyone wants me to do something, if anyone's listening and wants to get me to do something, they all they have to do is ask, and I'll say yes. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to come up. I mean, just, like, my whole life is, is, is saying yes. Mm-hmm. I should probably say no more, honestly. So Yeah. No. No. So you've said yes to a lot of things, but now you have a lot of responsibilities. You have three restaurants. Is there a moment in your head when you transition between being a, a chef and a restaurateur? I think it was with a third restaurant. So with the latest one, um, it was really when... And it wasn't... You know, part of it's out of necessity, but then part of it's just, like maybe a new set of eyes would be good. You know what I mean? So, Who's your new set of eyes? My new set of eyes is the best person in the world. Uh, her name's Intu. She's, um, she's from... If you've seen our T-shirt, we have these T-shirts, and on the back is the name of a, a larb, a duck larb restaurant in the far reaches of the northeastern part of Thailand. Very, very specific place that names a very specific neighborhood. It's like... It's like, like Bensonhurst or something specific, you know, but for Thailand. And I happen to meet her, and she's from that town that's on the back of our T-shirt. And it, it, that blew my mind. And then the other side of it is that she's, like, sort of uh, this, like, classically, like, Western food-trained woman, chef, and I'm not. I'm, you know, like, I write... Like, I know what I know, and I know how to make flavor, and I know how to make good restaurants, and, and I, you know, but I write in the book, I, I approach things almost with, like, the freedom of, of being an idiot, of being dopey, you know what I mean? And then I stumble upon things. She's, like, trained, like, classically trained. And so I think we make a good, like, a good team in that way, and, like, I see things from, like, a very sort of populist, kind of, like, a, like a looser kind of place, and she's very you know, trained. And, in, and and incorporating her into your restaurant group, like... Yeah, I mean, it was... It took it took a minute. I mean, it, it's, you know, she came in and was sort of just, like, kind of managing things or, you know... And it was her first leadership role, so we definitely... I think it was, like, a leap of faith on both sides. Um, but once I felt like she really understood the language and the vocabulary of the restaurant and the experience we were trying to do... It was it was easier for me to just say like all right well do you wanna do you wanna put in your two cents now because like I think running a restaurant or 
or uh, I don't know, being a painter or, do, or making music or whatever, you're essentially saying like, here's my take, you know, like here's what I think about the world, about, you know, um, food, about whatever. And this was, I think, like our invitation to say like, why don't you put in your two cents? You know, like I created, I think, the universe of Night Market, the framework for it. She learned that framework and, and that world and knows kind of what might work in it and what's like not a part of that. And now she's, we're able to have a dialogue about it. And it's like the stuff that we're coming up with is to me super exciting and it's happening, it's happening at all the restaurants, but it's probably happening the most in our Venice spot because it's the newest and it's like, it's just like the freedom of having a somewhat blank canvas, you know? So yeah. It's cool. So you said, was it with the third one that you said you started to feel like you were losing control a little bit and there was maybe a bit of a dip and then you managed to bring it back out? It was with the first one. It was just that, um, the oldest one, the one yeah. in, uh, in West Hollywood. It's like, it was more a matter of, I mean, like this year, it's going to be uh, like nine years, yeah. you know, which in restaurant years is like, it's crazy. In LA it's, restaurant years. In that's LA like restaurant years, I mean, you're dead, you know. So, you know, what I was saying is that, um, you know, when the other the Silver Lake spot opens up five years ago, four years ago, it's like, that's like the new spot. And then, like, two weeks in, it's no longer the new spot. And we open in Venice, and, like, that's the new spot. And, you know. And what I'm saying is that it's cool to me. This is, like, probably no one else cares. But it's cool on a personal level that my firstborn is able to have this, like, this almost this, like, uh, what do you call it? Like, a renaissance? Like, a new life? and Because um, it's, it's the nature. I think it's the nature of things. Like, you know, when you're putting out, I mean, probably nowhere is it more true than tech, you know, where it's like a constant cycle of putting out new product and, and innovation and, and that kind of thing. Um, but with, with something like restaurants, it's, it's not as fast, but it's still cycles super quickly. And, um, and these guys know being in food media, it's just like, what's the story? Like what's the new story? What's relevant to people? It's cyclical you know? though, right? Like that issue is cyclical. Yeah. Like because you have to care about what's new, people only go to what's new. And then like, like, you know, the media and restaurants all are kind of tied up in this game. It is, you know, but some people don't survive it. You know, like you don't even survive till the next cycle. And you know, that's what yeah. kind of sucks. It know? certainly seems, it seems like to me that, uh, you have to, you open as a hot restaurant and then you have that window of time for success. And then there's like a few restaurants that are picked from that, from that crop to become like legacy restaurants, like established restaurants. I think that to me is like the biggest, uh, biggest goals to be one of those restaurants, you know, that's, that's around for a while, you know, and I, I've always said that like, I want for night market restaurants to be thought of as like, as like neighborhood diners, you know, that's it. You know, you, you, it's a place you can, you can go twice a week, you know, whether it's in a celebratory context or just like a Tuesday night, I'm gonna go out and, you know, have some food with, you know, with my kids or whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. And, and it's okay, it's like, uh, it's okay to not be, I think, like the newest spot or whatever. And that, that's just my personal view on it. Saying that, there's a lot of neighborhoods in LA for neighborhood restaurants. Do you have aspirations of opening? Like, are you a, are you a I want a five restaurant restaurant group? Would you be like, I'll take 25 restaurants. I'm opening in Vegas. 
Where, where do you fall in that spectrum? What are you saying Vegas, yes to? <laughs> yeah, what are you, you saying know, like, yes to next? I said no. I've been asked several times to do Vegas, but and I've said no. That's what I said no to. But I love it here, you know? But I'm like, I'm not... I love Vegas, but I think I love it the way, like, a, a toddler would love Vegas. Like, I like the lights and, like, the... I like the... There's a statue that I moves. like the innocent, the innocent fun, you know? Like, I don't know... I don't gamble. I don't uh, do any of that stuff, you know? And I think, like... I almost wish I gambled. I, I want to... I want to learn how to gamble. You already and, run you know. three restaurants in LA. I'm pretty sure that is like yeah. a, you have you need to I go to rehab. That That's way. a gambling addiction, my but friend. But like yesterday, like I get in and I go straight to my room and I, like I ate in the hotel restaurant and I was just thinking about this and I was like, oh, I want to do a good job. I want to be fresh. And I watched uh, Bird Box on Netflix and, and fell <laughs> this as, morning. I fell asleep like a baby. Oh, um, last night. Not last yeah. night. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Vegas is rad. I think I'm, I'm probably good for LA. Like, I don't know, but I might, I don't know. I might. That face, you can't, those <laughs> of you can't see it. What that it. basically means when chefs say that is like, I'm, I'm in the exploratory phases. I'm looking at spaces, but I can't say. I can't find a place with enough parking so, spots. So exactly. Yeah. So basically, yes. You said that you, you thought maybe for your third one you would do an Asian, an Asian fusion thing, which you said has become like the butt of jokes. I was listening to an interview you did where you were saying that it, it bothers you that food media and like everyone's an expert now and they'll say, oh, you put ketchup in your pad thai? Like that's BS. Um, does some part of you want to do a restaurant where you like put ketchup in pad thai as a big... Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, that's not something I ever thought about, you know, but like I feel like that might even for me... Um, Someone for whom uh, transgression of all sorts is like is a driving force and is interesting to me. Um, that would be crossing the line. It would be like a transgression that I would not be able to make. But what I mean about fusion is like, like what's a classic fusion thing? Like like yuzu mayo, right? Is like a classic fusion thing that I or like wasabi mashed potatoes. It's like a classic fusion thing that. I think it's good, you know, like even though people I res highly, highly respect would say otherwise, I would say I do like wasabi mashed potatoes. I think there's a lot of delicious foods that we've like stopped letting ourselves enjoy because they're not cool or, you know, not sure. authentic or that they're like fusion. But like, you know what? It's mm. really good. Like there's nothing wrong with wasabi and mashed potatoes. Right. It's, like, it's like a little horseradish kick. They're creamy and delicious. Just enjoy them. Just eat. It's yeah, pleasure. I think it's, if anything, the, the, the goal would, would be to get people to that place. Not just because I love fusion food so much or I, whatever. It's like my goal for it would be something I think a little more subversive in opening an Asian, and like my version of an Asian fusion restaurant might not be what you think it would be, you know? Um, I know, you know what? It just reminds me of like this big controversy that happened recently with, uh, with Andrew Zimmerman's place, not to get too controversial. And he's someone I really like. He's someone I like and admire, you know? And, uh, and I've been on one of his shows and stuff, you know? But that sort of strong stance, you know, I think, I think it came off the wrong way. It was probably he didn't intend it that way. It's tough when you're speaking off the cuff and you're, you know, trying those, to make content, yeah. you know. For those people who don't know, uh, Zimmern opened uh, a, a restaurant in Minnesota and he said he was effectively saving people from the bullshit Chinese food that they're getting. Horseshit. Horseshit. Yeah, horseshit. Horseshit. At, at, at 
P.F. Chang's and, uh, and Panda Express. Yeah, re- referring to the people who've been cooking Chinese food in these areas forever. And I, I get the intention with it, you know, and I, I get that um, he's, he's trying to make content and he's trying to, you know, he has his goals with it. But I think it came off wrong. I think it was, you know, it was offensive and it probably wasn't his best moment. Um, but for me, it would be like, it would be my answer to something like that, you know? And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go open up a horseshit restaurant now, a horseshit uh-huh. Asian restaurant uh, to, to answer that. Not him specifically, but, yeah. um, but just that general kind of criticism. Because for me, you know, I feel like to say for someone else who's not of, you know, my culture or my, like, country of origin or whatever, to, to define what it is that... Uh, my output should be, you know, or my work should be, is is almost as offensive as someone just like, just like doing a stereotype or like, you know, like I should probably play cello and and blah blah blah, you know, it's it's sort of as uh, constricting, I think, in a way. So it would just be uh, kind of an answer to that, I think. It seems to me like people, at least food media, has has changed to the point where now. I feel like we defend the P.F. Chang's and the yeah. Panda Express, whereas maybe in 2012, I don't I actually know this, maybe there was more nitpicking and calling those places BS, but do you feel like the conversation has changed, especially as... as, as I, feel it, I feel it's changed and for the better, you know? I mean, look, you know, those, those are restaurants that serve more... I mean, if you go to... If you go to LAX to the the international terminal where they've there's been all this like foodie kind of rejuvenation, there's all these like food foodie restaurants. Um, the place that's still the most packed is is uh, is Panda Express, you know, just like line, there's like fifty person lines, whereas like the foodie place is now out of business, you know. So whatever you think about it, you know, place that serves that broad of an audience. Um, to me is like, that's something to respect on a level. And, uh, and yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, media is, is treating places like that um, a little more reasonably, you know, that it's like not, because I think that to, to present things in, in like an elitist way is just like, it's just not, it's not useful to anybody, so. Opening in the restaurant is like taking on another challenge uh, and you always said that you would never like do New York, or you'd never do another city. Isn't that, wouldn't that be like, even a scarier challenge? Man, you know, I love New York so much. I lived there for eight years. Um, and to me, it's such a pure kind of place where I go there and I have my friends that are still there and I just hang out. I just go to my favorite restaurants. I just like walk around the city and like, you know, uh, go to the park and all that. And it's just so, it's just so pure. You know what I mean? And then, like, when you put in a restaurant, you put in, like... I love that you say, like, New York and Vegas are I know. just such pure cities. <laughs> yeah, but, like, that's, that's, like, that's how I am. You know, like, yeah. I go to these places where, like, that are, are known for being able to cater to any type of fantasy you might ever have. And I go and I do, like, the PG version. I mm-hmm. go and, and I do... And watch Netflix. <laughs> I watch, you know, I mean, like, that's, that's what I do. And, but uh, I've always had a very, I think, skewed view of things, you know what I mean? Like kind of, like with Night Market, for instance, I've said in the past that uh, 
like my greatest goal would was for it to be a mainstream type of restaurant, you know, like, or what did I say? I said, I said TGI Fridays. That's what nice. I said. And I'd never even been to TGI Fridays, but I'm sorry, wait. in my mind, in my mind, I have a sense of what that would be. I have this fantasy version of what TGI Fridays would be. And I want night market to be like that. In actuality, I think it's nothing like that. Probably like, I don't, you know, I, I should probably go to one. Just I'm to saying, see. I'm pretty sure there's probably a TGA Fridays right here in the lovely Greater Vegas I think area. We should this go. Could, we we should can all fulfill go. your fantasy right I'm now. I'm buying lunch. We're going. <laughs> you know. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you for having. I think me. we're going to a TGA Fridays now. Yeah, we're, we're going. We're there. going. Yeah. Everyone's it. invited. Okay. Thanks everyone for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Eater Upsell. That was Chris Yen Bam Room. Make sure to grab a copy of the Night Market Cookbook and leave us a review if you enjoyed the episode. We'll be back next week with something in studio, heavily produced. <laughs>